online. How's it going, Cake Nation? And welcome back to the Chemistry Cake online podcast, where chatting about chemistry has never been sweeter. Today's episode is a continuation of the Project Pivot miniseries, the second of three. And to give a quick recap, since that episode aired two weeks ago, we chatted about the protein ferritin, the different types of magnetism, and how the ferritin project was a little more challenging than I was anticipating. I did end that episode on a bit of a cliffhanger, so hopefully this episode will alleviate any suspense that had been building up over the past two weeks. But before I get into the nitty gritty of how my attitudes changed toward this project, I think now would be a really good time to hit you up with some really cool facts about polydopamine. Polydopamine, abbreviated PDA, is a synthetic melanin mimic and exhibits many properties of naturally occurring melanin in optics, electricity, and surprise, magnetics. Melanin, as you may already know, is a pigment found in the hair, skin, and irises of the eye in humans and animals. What you might not have known is that there are different types of melanin. Eumelanin is that dark brownish blackish pigment in the skin and eyes that we are all familiar with. What we might be less familiar with is pheomelanin and neuromelanin. Pheomelanin is the pigment found in red-haired individuals and neuromelanin is the dark pigment that accumulates within the brain and is essentially the cause of Parkinson's disease. So with this in mind, it makes sense that polydopamine has excellent biocompatibility, since it is a mimic of melanin. So another pretty cool thing about polydopamine is that it is feasibly deposited on nearly all inorganic and organic substrates. Uh, The adhesive properties of polydopamine are actually spectacular, and this, this is most apparent when I have to clean my glassware because good old soap and water don't quite cut it. Uh, I actually have to rinse my reaction vessels several times with a strong base to remove the nanoparticles that have adhered to the surface of the glass. Obviously donning the proper PPE to do so because safety first, kids. Additionally, you can tune or adjust the film thickness and size of polydopamine by varying the pH of your reaction. As I had aforementioned, uh, polydopamine is a nanoparticle that is polymeric-like. I say this because I think I read in a publication somewhere that it isn't a true polymer, so I'm just going to say that it is polymer-esque. And so a polymer, by definition, is made of several smaller units. Polydopamine can be synthesized with a variety of precursors, but the one I work with is dopamine. Uh, The exact mechanism for the formation of polydopamine isn't really known, but there are a lot of proposed mechanisms out there. Additionally, the overall structure of the nanoparticle is spherical, but the polymerization is amorphous. Uh, And the chemical structure of polydopamine incorporates several functional groups, like imines, catechols, and ketones, to name a few. And these functional groups serve as the basis for covalent modification and as sites for metal coordination which is something that I am particularly interested in. Uh, There are countless other cool things about polydopamine that you can go learn about. 
there is a really nice and comprehensive 59-page review article, and I can tweet the link on Twitter if you wish to learn more, so keep an eye out for it. You're probably wondering, then, if I think polydopamine is so cool, because it is, why was I initially indifferent toward that project? And I had mentioned in the Farewell Ferritin episode that it was primarily due to investing so much time and energy in one project that shifting projects was rather terrifying for what the outcome might be. Uh, nevertheless, after reading a few papers and starting some syntheses, I started to fall in love with this project, particularly with all of the color changes that occur. Uh, the synthesis of polydopamine is very cool. The manganese-3 loaded nanoparticle starts colorless and then changes to yellow, to dark green, to orange, to reddish orange, to dark brown within a few minutes. And you can imagine how many videos of this color change I have on my camera roll. Uh, if I'm being honest, all the pretty colors serve as a consolation when the reaction doesn't work. Like, for example, uh, there was a synthetic method that I tried using an air-sensitive metal salt. So naturally, I did the reaction under inert atmosphere. And the colors were gorgeous. Uh, it started clear and then turned a vivid lavender upon addition of the metal salt to the dopamine hydrochloride starting reagent and water. And then, upon addition of the basic buffer, the reaction turned light pink to darker pink to wine red. I knew that the polymerization didn't work, however, because the reaction was clear, um, such that if you shined a light through it, most of the light would shine through. For the synthesis, we typically look for turbidity, or like a cloudy, almost opaque appearance. And so if I were to shine a light through it, no light should shine through. Uh, and this is a great example of how science and research are exploratory in nature, because I hadn't known until after I did that reaction that in order for dopamine to polymerize into polydopamine, there needs to be a mild oxidant present. And that is usually oxygen, which is in the air. But since I was running the synthesis under inert atmosphere, namely nitrogen, the polymerization did not occur. So I got the opportunity to flex my innovation and came up with a brilliant idea. Absolutely genius. It's so good. Are you ready for it? I introduced oxygen into the system by opening my reaction vessels of the air. That's right, my reaction flask was closed, and then I opened it. And of course, I, I say this in jest because I'm really just poking fun at myself. So, uh, I was scratching my head for or quite a long time to get this reaction to go. And while I think it was a pretty good idea, I wouldn't label it as, as groundbreaking. Um, so as a result of this grandiose idea, I got this very deep, dark, black color. Um, sometimes we jokingly call it the elixir of death because of how dark and murky and sludgy it looked. There was a lot of turbidity upon opening it to air. So something was happening. Uh, my postdoc was actually really excited about this because 
we weren't really expecting anything to happen, but I guess the drastic color change from, you know, a clear deep red solution to a deep midnight colored gunk got us excited. Um, he kindly imaged that sample for me on the transmission electron microscope, TEM for short, and it was about as good as we expected. It wasn't what we were looking for, but still interesting nonetheless. It's certainly a project that I plan to optimize in the near future. Um, so as you can see, I am having a ton of fun with my nanoparticles. And with all the color changes, I do not regret being an inorganic chemist. Um, and I get really excited thinking about the project and designing protocols and troubleshooting when things don't go the way I want them to. Granted, I only just finished my first year, so as of right now, I'm having a blast. We will see if my attitudes change as I progress further into my graduate studies, though I certainly hope that if they do change, it will be for the better. Uh, and, you know, this isn't to say that this project isn't challenging, because it is. Uh, since the material is an amorphous polymer, I have to get pretty creative with characterization. As a result, I have been learning and getting trained on a multitude of characterization methods, like dynamic light scattering, DLS, transmission electron microscopy, TEM, scanning electron microscopy, SEM, ultraviolet visual infrared UV vis IR spectroscopy, superconducting quantum interference device squid analysis, inductively coupled plasma mass spectrometry, ICPMS, and I'm certain there will be other many cool things uh, that I get to learn in the future. Now that you know perhaps a little more than you bargained for about polydopamine, I thank you for listening to me get excited about this project. For me personally, the project Pivot was an initially difficult but overall positive experience. I know and am fully aware that I cannot speak on behalf of everyone. Perhaps some of you can relate to my experience uh, in that switching projects was for the better. In which case, this is excellent news and I hope that you continue to enjoy your science. Some of you, however, may have experienced a project pivot that was not a positive experience. In which case, I, I have not much to say except that I hope something comes up in your project that sparks your interest and encourages you to proceed with the project. Perhaps still some of you haven't a clue what I'm talking about because you haven't had to switch projects. In which case, I am so glad you were able to find a project that fascinates you on the first go. And to those that will be entering into graduate school sometime in the future, I want to leave you with this. I am not here to say that project pivots are inherently good, nor am I saying that they are inherently bad. I do encourage, however, approaching them openly as they are opportunities for explorations and possibilities for innovation. And we can never really conclude if something is positive or negative until we try it ourselves, can we? What might work for one might not work for the other. Whatever the case, I am always happy to give an extra dose of hype whenever it is needed. And with that being said, listeners at home, Thanks so much for joining me in this chat. If you do need a little extra hype, please feel free to tweet at me on Twitter at ChemistryCake. It is always a pleasure and a privilege to be the designated hype woman of the Cake Nation. 
Don't forget to stay hydrated, keep the hype alive, and keep on edifying your village. Thanks for tuning in. This is Chemistry Cake, signing off. <laughs>